0: You're going to love this. Just love it. Yeah, that's what they always say.
1: Well, I don't know why I came here tonight.
0: As usual, I, I don't.
1: something
0: right. As usual, its so
1: scared
0: as usual, and I'm, I'm not scared. The There's no stairs
1: here. Yep, I'm
0: surrounded.
1: I'm stuck, in the middle
0: with you. stuck here in the middle with you. On KPFK, I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. I am, of course, your friendly citizen investigative blogger, journalist, Troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com, in for another live hour, uh, screaming out over ten hundred and ten thousand blistering watts. Across the uh, across the Southland, Central California, and all places uh, beyond, on ninety point seven FM, Los Angeles; ninety eight point seven FM in Santa Barbara; ninety three point seven FM in San Diego; ninety nine point five FM in Ridgecrest and China Lake, and of course, coast to coast and around the globe on kpfk.org and on the Stitcher Radio and TuneIn Radio apps on your smart device. Glad you could join us this afternoon. I'm sure you're all just coming down from your State of the Union parties. I know, I know I am. Uh, and we're going to be talking about the State of the Union here this afternoon. Uh, a couple of points specifically. We're going to be joined uh, shortly by Marsha Johnson Blanco, the co-director of the Voting Rights Project at the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights Under Law. Because there was a lot of discussion about, uh, oh, voting and stuff at the State of the Union last night. Also, uh, our own Desi Doyen, our producer and co-host, my co-host on the Green News Report, is going to be joining us for an extended segment today since Barack Obama covered a whole bunch of green stuff as well. No, you know, green initiatives and stuff. Yeah, that stuff. Green uh, environmental issues and so forth in the speech last night. So we're going to be uh, covering that. We may, if we're lucky, get to some of your calls this afternoon at 818-985-5735. That's 818-985-KPFK if the radio gods are with us. Uh Last night, as Joan Walsh described it, as the night that John Boehner just sat there over at Salon. Uh, She writes that on Tuesday night, President Obama outlined an an ambitious second-term agenda, a commitment to universal preschool, raising the federal minimum wage, executive action on climate change, a strong jobs agenda, easing barriers to voting, tough new gun laws. The president won't get everything he's asking for, she says, well, that's an understatement, but uh, not even the mo- not even most of it. And some of the details of what he wants and how he'll achieve it were indeed sketchy. But it was rewarding to see him ask. I agree. It was actually, it was a very good speech. No matter if you liked his policies or if you didn't or if you uh, noticed all the things he didn't say, uh, it was just a hell of a speech. It was actually a, a barn burner of a State of the Union. At least in my opinion, you may feel differently. Uh, of course, John Boehner was the grump of the night sitting behind uh sitting by the President all night couldn't even bring himself to applaud phrases like "Oh, putting nation before party uh let's all pledge to keep the full faith and credit of the United States government." He couldn't even applaud that he could not rise out of his seat to applaud for wounded warriors or even. 102-year-old Desaline Victor, who stood in line for three hours to cast her vote last November. We will be talking about Desaline's uh, story in the uh, in the moments ahead as well. Um, one point I want to get to before we uh, before we bring on uh, Marcia. It's actually pronounced Marcia. Um, One point I want to cover, because we haven't been able to cover this. It's been driving me crazy. We've been uh, covering it quite a bit over at Bradblog.com. Obama on drones. He said last night, um, well, I'll just read it to you here. He said, my my administration has worked tirelessly to forge a durable legal and policy framework to guide our counterterrorism operations. Throughout, we have kept Congress fully informed of our efforts, he said. I recognize that in our democracy, no one should just take my word that we're doing things the right way. So in the months ahead, I will continue to engage Congress with with, engage with Congress to ensure not only that our targeting detention and prosecution of terrorists remains consistent with our laws and systems of checks, system of checks and balances, but that our efforts are even more transparent to the American people and to the world, even more transparent. Are you kidding me? Mr. Obama, the notion that you have kept Congress fully informed of your efforts to put U.S. citizens onto uh, kill lists uh, is, well, frankly, is just a lie. You've got uh, the Senate Intelligence Committee now is still begging the administration to turn over memos that justify, that offer the legal justification, the secret legal memos that uh, offer the uh, l- supposed legal justification to kill U.S. citizens. Um so, on that, I had to call the president out. Uh, there was also no mention last night about Citizens United, uh, Photo ID, and so forth, though he did talk, uh, a fair amount about, uh, um, the need to fix our voting system, and that's what we're gonna talk about shortly. But I wanted to just make that point about drones because I haven't had a chance. I didn't get to talk about it last week, and, uh, we are unlikely to get to talk about it, uh, this week either. Um, alright, let me get, uh, let, let me bring, uh, uh, Marcia Johnson on before we, before we play some clips. We'll play them when she's here. Marcia Johnson Blanco, she is the co-director of the Lawyers Committee, Lawyers Committee's Voting Rights Project, where she directs the following programmatic areas, election protection, election reform, census and redistricting, and felony disenfranchisement. Prior to her present position, Marcia was senior counsel in the Voting Rights Project where she served as the Deputy Director of the National Commission on the Voting Rights Act, a private nonpartisan commission organized in 2005 to determine the extent of discrimination in voting since the Voting Rights Act was last reauthorized. Marcia is an adjunct professor at Georgetown University Law Center, and she joins us this afternoon on the broadcast. Marcia, welcome to KPFK.
2: Thank you so much
0: for having me. Uh, great to have you here. Uh, you know, I, I should have teased this segment first by saying swift voting or swift Voting. We're going to talk about, uh, uh, in a bit, about the uh, president's uh, call for a new uh, election commission and the man who he has uh, named to co-chair that commission. I think people will be pretty stunned when they hear about it. But, um First, let me, uh, uh, Marcia, let me get your thoughts. Actually, let me, let me play a clip for you here. Uh, I want to start with, uh, let's see, this is clip, where am I here? Let's go with, uh, clip number three from last night. Uh, it's self-explanatory, but I'll come back to you, Marcia, in a second and get your thoughts on it. Okay. You got clip three standing we by there? Follow
3: the example of a North Miami woman named Desaline Victor. When Desaline arrived at her polling place, she was told the wait to vote might be six hours. And as time ticked by, her concern was not with her tired body or aching feet, but whether folks like her would get to have their say. An hour after hour, a throng of people stayed in line to support her. Because Desaline is 102 years old. And they erupted in cheers when she finally put on a sticker that read, I voted.
0: they erupted in cheers in the chamber last night, deservedly so. Desaline uh, Victor was, uh, was in the chamber as guest of the first ladies. Uh, Marcia Johnson Blanco, what do you, uh, what, what did you make of that? Uh, was that a, a, a good piece of theater or did that, uh, really tell the story of what happened in uh, November 2012 with these insane lines? Uh, you know, three, four, six, seven hours to vote across the country.
2: I think that it did tell the story about what happened, and I'm really glad that the president is continuing to focus on that. When he gave his acceptance speech, he said, we need to fix that. I know we're going to talk about how he's approaching that Mm fix-it, but it's really important not just to focus on the lines, but what's behind the lines, what caused the lines and how we can make our election system better. So, good opening.
0: Uh, It was a good opening. Uh, Let's move to, uh, and we'll go through some of the specifics on how we can, actually, let let me do that uh, first before I go to this uh, sound clip on his commission. Uh, You have... Uh, at the Election Protection Coalition, which is uh, about a 100 uh, local and state and national partners, uh, including the Lawyers Commission for Civil Rights Under Law, put together a report, Our Broken Voting Systems and How to Repair It. And, uh, you list quite a few problems. Voter registration errors, ineffective planning, misallocation of resources and voting equipment, malfunctioning voting machines, which is something I never hear spoken about by a lot of the voting rights groups, uh, and, uh, the president. Um, with these litany of problems, uh, do you see any, any hope that any of these are actually going to be, uh, dealt with in the coming, in the coming days and months here?
2: Well, what I found heartening is in the statement that the White House released about the commission is that they talked about looking behind the long lines and they talked about improved poll worker planning and fixing machines and some of the things you just listed so good sign um, it doesn't talk about one of the biggest problems that we um see in our election protection program, which is voter registration problems mm-hmm. and there's definitely a need for us to modernize our voter registration system. So I would say that this commission is dealing with some but not all of the problems, and I really hope that they engage groups like ours that work have worked on these issues for many years. Mm-hmm. To talk
0: about how we can fix them. Uh, what, uh, when people hear, because I've heard uh, a lot of discussion about this, we need to make the registration uh, system portable, and the voter registration system portable, you make a universal registration. What does that mean exactly? And by the way, some of the bills that have been filed in Congress uh, call for exactly that. Can you explain exactly what that means, what universal registration and uh, portable registration actually means?
2: Yeah, so there are a lot of ways in which we can modernize our voter registration system. But what that means is a lot of uh, voters don't realize that when they move, they have to re-register. They think they registered once, and that's it. And so by making it portable, what that means is that when I move and I engage with the system in some way, either with the postal service with my forwarding address, Mm That my registration is similarly updated, Mm. and so I'm not unknowingly disfranchised because I didn't realize I needed to do that.
0: Now, there's going to be obviously, uh, you know, the Republicans want to do absolutely nothing about any of this. And, you know, when I cover elections, and I suspect the same is true with you, these are, frankly, nonpartisan issues. But we can't get around the fact that Republicans want to uh, not only take no action on this, they want to turn back the clock. And we'll talk about that in a little bit in the challenge coming up to the Voting Rights Act uh, that will be heard in the Supreme Court. Uh, in, in a week or two. But with this kind of, uh, opposition to any sort of reform, uh, are, are, is this a matter of, uh, are these just pipe dreams at this point? Is this a matter of making people understand where we need to go and maybe in truth, uh, five, ten, twenty years down the road, we'll finally see something like universal registration, portable registration, and so forth?
2: Well, you know, as, you know, we take a nonpartisan approach to this. And I would say that Republicans were standing in those long lines as well as Democrats. Mm -hmm. And this is about um, really focusing on how we make our democracy work and how we make our elections work effectively. And I would hope that the fact that there's a bipartisan approach with the commission, that they will take that seriously, everyone will take that charge seriously, and really work on fixing those issues
0: well let 's talk about that commission because uh, you know I have some concerns about it uh, the where 's my notes here the uh, League of women Voters, uh, Ari Berman points out at the nation today uh, that the League of Women Voters, who is usually rather mild mannered on these things uh, were actually sharply critical of the plan for a new presidential election commission. Uh, they wrote that, quote, "...we were surprised and disappointed that the president did not suggest bold action to ensure that every American citizen can exercise the right to vote. Setting up a commission, they write, is not a bold step. It is business as usual. The president could have done much better by pointing to real solutions like that in legislation already introduced on Capitol Hill to require early voting, set limits on waiting times." provide for portable voter registration, and set up secure online voter registration. That was the League of Women Voters, and uh, he's right, Ari Berman at The Nation. They are usually pretty mild-mannered on this. Let me play the president last night and his announcement of this presidential commission, and then uh, I'll get your thoughts, Marcia Johnson-Blanco, on what the uh, the president had to say and on this commission itself.
3: We must all do our part to make sure our God-given rights are protected here at home. That includes one of the most fundamental rights of a democracy, the right to vote. When when any American, no matter where they live or what their party, are denied that right, because they can't afford to wait for five or six or seven hours just to cast their ballot, we are betraying our ideals. So so tonight I'm announcing a nonpartisan commission to improve the voting experience in America. And it definitely needs improvement. I'm asking two longtime experts in the field who, by the way, recently served as the top attorneys for my campaign and for Governor Romney's campaign, to lead it. We can fix this, and we will. The American people demand it, and so does our democracy.
0: Well, we'll see if the American people uh, demand it. You're listening to the broadcast on KPFK. I'm Brad Friedman speaking with Marcia Marcia Johnson-Blanco of the uh, Voting Rights Project at the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights Under Law. So, uh, Marcia, um, do you share the um, – uh, you, you said you're encouraged about the commission. Uh, what about what the League of Women Voters say uh, have to say, which is that uh, we we don't need no stinking commission at this point?
2: Well, the commission would definitely not have been my first choice. Mm -hmm. But um, when I said I was encouraged, I was speaking to the fact that he is moving this conversation forward. And I really hope that the commission takes his charge to heart about fixing it and not get bogged down in um, just glossing over the issue or, you know, there's the saying about commissions that (laughs) good ideas go to die and hope that they prove the exception to that and that they really work with those of us who've been in the trenches trying to address these issues. And so we have the commission. We'll move forward and, and hopefully um, have the opportunity to work with the commission. But I also hope that this doesn't mean that Congress thinks their hands are tied, because, as you mentioned before, there are other issues that the league has pointed out and that I'm raising, too, that um, are beyond what the commission can do, Um so there are the, the election administration issues, mm-hmm. but there's still so also the laws that need to be changed to make, you know, the dream of an effective democracy in our voting system um, effective that need to be done also. Well, in fact,
0: uh, the commission can't really do anything other than make recommendations. Correct? Is that right? So, uh, you know, they're going to make recommendations if we're lucky for many of the things that are are already uh, in some of these bills uh, senator uh, Barbara boxer has the line act that limits uh you know time that people are allowed to stand online uh there's other bills in in the house as well uh, I I I got to say I'm I'm left scratching my head about this commission, and I'm hoping you can maybe put me at ease, Marcia, because you know I look back at the presidential commission that was formed after the 2000 debacle, uh, that was co-chaired by uh, a President, uh, former Presidents uh, Carter and Ford at the time. What we ended up with was the Help America Vote Act, which was, frankly, a disaster. It gave $4 billion to, quote-unquote, upgrade our electronic voting systems across the country. These very same systems are failing uh, across the country today. They're not overseeable. The citizens can't know if they uh, record votes correctly. And then in 2004, there was a private commission that was formed by some Republican, Operatives at the time uh, to make it look like a national commission. This one was headed by Jimmy Carter um, and James A. Baker, uh, the Bush friend, and I, you know, the man who went to the Supreme Court to keep people from voting at, uh, to keep people's votes from counting at all in 2000. Uh, they came out and, of course, recommended uh, we need photo ID restrictions at the polling place. So it seems like nothing good comes out of these commissions. And now we learn that a fellow by the name of Ben Ginsburg, who was part of that uh, 2000 strategy with Bush Cheney, uh, he's an attorney uh, that he's been named to the, uh, the the Republican co-chair. He was, as I say. Uh, part of that uh, strategy to keep votes from being counted in Florida in 2000. In 2004, he was also on the Bush-Cheney campaign, but he had to quit. He had to resign when it was revealed that he was giving advice to the Swift Boat Veterans for Truth. So he resigned in disgrace from that commission from that uh, campaign uh and then in uh, in 2008 he represented Norm Coleman in this fight against Al Franken and he flip-flopped all over the place first fighting to keep votes from being counted then fighting to get them counted uh as it suited his candidate uh and then finally he ended up uh, as a um, as a election uh, attorney for Mitt Romney in 2012 this is the guy who's going to co-chair the uh, new president's new election commission. Marcia, what good can come of this?
2: Well, when you lay it out like that, <laughs> it doesn't <laughs> seem very promising, does it?
0: No, it doesn't, but and that's that's my concern. And
2: and, and I agree with you, and, and I share that to some extent, but I don't think that we should wait and just... Uh, Well, first, I think we should engage because it exists, and we need, you know, we need to work with it and and do our best to overcome that legacy and try to make it as effective as possible. But that's not the only game in town, and we need to remember that, and we need to work with Congress and also on the local level with election administration, Mm -hmm. uh, election administrators, to push our proposals and our vision of what the reform can look like, and. One of the things that I think is different that came out of this last election is that there were um, restrictive laws that were passed. There were lots of tactics with purges. There were deceptive practices. Mm -hmm. And the voters said, no, we are going to stand in those lines. And I think one of the things that's really impressive are the voters that stood in line to vote even after the election was called Mm -hmm. to make the point that this is important. So we are in that environment now where the repressive um, and restrictive tactics have been called out for what they are. And so to try to, you know, do this halfway is not going to be accepted. And that needs to be the message that we give. So as you said, when there's a group like the league who also felt it important to step out and say, okay, this is week tea, that hopefully that will, you know, put a fire and, and change things. I mean, I have to be hopeful because... You know, it's my job that
0: you're pushing and working for this. <laughs> no, Adilza, I, I understand, but I, you know, I was really happy to see uh, uh, the League of Women Voters uh, statement on that because, you know, they are, uh, you know, pretty conservative when it comes to these things. And I'm just concerned now that what happens is, oh, we've got a commission, so we'll sit back, everything stops in Congress, everything stops everywhere until the commission comes back with their findings. And I can't imagine that, you know, when they have these bipartisan commissions, these nonpartisan commissions, that any anything uh but compromises come out where you have okay we'll make uh you know limits on on how long lines can be uh but we're going to recommend further disenfranchising uh, photo id restrictions so um You stay optimistic, Marcia. Color me uh, pessimistic, I think, on this one. But I hope you're right, and I hope that I am wrong. Uh, Let me, uh, in the few minutes we have here uh, left, uh, let me look forward in uh, two weeks, I think uh, February 27. Uh, And this is uh, probably going to have a larger effect than anything else on our voting system, I'm afraid. Uh, February 27th at the uh, U.S. Supreme Court, Shelby County, Alabama versus Holder is coming up. The uh, Voting Rights Act is uh, at stake, Section 5 of the Voting Rights Act, uh, which uh, requires some 16 jurisdictions across the uh, country to get preclearance for new election-related laws, from the uh, Department of Justice before those laws can be enacted. Uh, What is at stake here in this challenge by Republicans uh, to Voting Rights Act Section 5, Marcia?
2: Well, what is at stake is one of the most important civil rights laws that have ever been passed. And what Section 5 does is that it requires those states and jurisdictions with a legacy of discrimination to seek federal approval for their voting laws before they can be implemented. And you talked about voter ID. You know, this was shown with Texas in this past year, where Texas is a state that's under Section 5, mm-hmm. had to uh, get approval for its voter ID law, and the courts found that it was discriminatory. You know, that's the important work that mm-hmm. Section 5 does. And that's what's at stake when the Supreme Court is going to be looking at it. And on September 27th, is, is this law still needed? Well, just this past year, it's proven
0: that yes, it's still needed. It's, and it was also in South Carolina that and the, uh, Section 5 was used to turn back the, the photo ID restrictions. Uh, so is that, what, what is the actual challenge in Shelby County? Are they saying that we have moved the ball so forward, so far so far forward that these jurisdictions at once needed extra protection because they had a history of discrimination that they no longer, uh, have a history of discrimination or are they simply arguing that that, hey, this is unconstitutional. There's equal justice. You can't have uh, you know some rules, some laws and regulations for some places, and uh, other rules and laws and regulations for other places.
2: And what they're saying precisely is that they're looking at whether Congress had the authority to reauthorize Section 5 in 2006, because looking at the record of discrimination, is there a record of discrimination that justifies Congress's reauthorization of this extraordinary remedy that has transformed our elections and uh, those who can participate in the elections, and you know, the question, the answer, I would say, is undoubtedly yes. You, know, you mentioned I was involved in the National Commission on the Voting Rights Act, mm-hmm. which looked at the record, the current day record of discrimination in those jurisdictions that are covered under Section 5, and we found that there, that record still exists. There, there still continues to be these attempts to pass laws to keep certain voters from being able to vote.
0: And are they and are they still in the same jurisdictions that uh, this was originally, the Voting Rights Act was enacted in 1965? Are they still the same jurisdictions? Some have been added over the years. But uh, do we still see the record of discrimination in the same places that we did back in 1965?
2: more of that record in those states than in other states that are not covered by Section 5. And so that's what Congress is looking at, is is it time to lift this remedy? And what Congress found after almost 20 hearings and a record of over 1,500 pages, looking at the question, is that yes, this this still needs to be in place for those jurisdictions.
0: And it was reauthorized by Congress. I think the Senate voted. I want to say ninety-seven to nothing, or ninety-nine to nothing. Ninety-eight zero.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah. ninety-eight zero in favor of reauthorizing it, just uh, in two thousand and six with George Bush, uh, George W. Bush signing that bill. And yet here we are, just uh, five, six years later now. They're challenging this in the US Supreme Court on the basis that it is unconstitutional. I know you have no crystal ball there, uh, Marcia Johnson Blanco, but uh can this challenge uh will this will this challenge uh work? Will they be able to do away with section 5 and if so, what then?
2: Well, I would say I granted no crystal ball, but I have precedent. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, they constitutionality of section five has been challenged before and time and time and time again, the court has said that section five is constitutional and, and what has made it constitutional is the record of discrimination in these jurisdictions and that record undoubtedly exists. So with that, I'm saying, (laughs) you know, I'm, I'm going to roll the dice and say the court should uphold, uh, the constitutionality of Section 5 in this instance, because without Section 5, what we will see is that jurisdictions can pass discriminatory laws without the overview of the court mm-hmm. to stop the laws before they be go into effect. That's what's so important about Section 5, is that these jurisdictions can pass laws, but until approval, they can't go into effect.
0: Uh Marcia do you see before I let you go here uh do you uh, do you see uh section 2 of the uh Voting Rights Act also applies uh to discriminatory laws and it it applies to all 50 states and yet we saw you know in places like uh Pennsylvania, Kansas, Tennessee uh how Tennessee is not covered by section 5 of the Voting Rights Act I couldn't tell you but we saw in places like that they passed these photo id restrictions and the department of justice did nothing they did they could have used section 2 to challenge those uh, laws do you share my frustration with the department of justice are they doing enough uh you know whether section 5 is here or not in the future and it might disappear uh, are they doing enough under section 2 uh to hold some of these jurisdictions that aren't covered hold to hold their feet to the fire and make sure that people can vote
2: no, I think they need to do more and, and utilize Section 2 more. And the thing about Section 2 is that the laws can be in effect and um and you, you have that record of showing the effects of the law and that allows it, to, it makes a stronger case for Section 2. So what I'm hoping is that after seeing what has happened in the states that have passed these laws and we have an election to look at and see the impact of those laws, that that will make for a stronger Section 2 case, and I'm hoping that the Justice Department is doing that evaluation.
0: My guest is the optimistic Marcia Johnson <laughs> Blanco, co-director. Uh, yeah, I know. You gotta be, uh, I'm sorry to say, a co-director of the Voting Rights Project at the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights under Law. You can check them out at lawyerscommittee.org and also, uh, at 866hourvote.org. Uh, you guys and your hotline was, I know, indispensable, uh, for, for taking reports for, uh, problem, uh, people having problems voting and giving instructions. Instructions on that, so I want to thank you for all you're doing, uh, both at the Lawyers Committee and at the eight six six our vote election protection coalition.
2: Thank you very much. And
0: thanks for joining us here this afternoon.
2: Thank you.
0: Thank you. Bye-bye.
2: What is wrong? And the evidence
1: is clear, I'm not alone.
0: Fighting for your vote right here on KPFK's Bradcast. Uh, we're going to take a quick break here, come back with uh, much more, including the gulp herd round the world and Desi Doyen. And maybe if the radio gods are with us, your calls at 818-985-5735. That's 818-985-KPFK. Oh, you can also tweet me anything you like at the Brad Blog. Love to see from you over there. I'm Brad Friedman. You're listening to the broadcast on KPFK. Float through minds, but still the days seem the
3: same.
0: And these children that you spit on And stay try to change their worlds.
3: Are immune
2: to your consultations. They're quite aware of what they're going through. Ch 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 to grow up and of it ch 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 change yeah. Turn and face the strange Ch-ch-ch-change Yeah We're wishing you bless us up to her next event? Time may change
3: me
0: you can't this time Facing the Strange right here on KPFK I'm Brad Friedman of bradblog.com This is your Bradcast Glad you could join us Our phone number is 818-985-KPFK 818-985-5735. If you have thoughts on last night's State of the Union address, we're going to be joined here by Desi Doyen momentarily, and we'll do some uh, some green news. Uh, heck, let's uh, let's go to Desi now. Can we go to you uh, with without your theme? Do you yeah, your yeah theme? I think we you, can. Can you talk without your theme, or do you feel uncomfortable?
1: Yeah, what? I can talk. It's there. Oh, there goes, goes, easy goes, being readers. green. See. Woo. See.
0: Nobody There's will recognize you. with so many other ordinary things. Without your theme song. The lovely Desi Doyen uh, joins us. Uh, a lot of green stuff in the, uh, and I keep saying green stuff. I know. And i got to realize I'm here at KPFK. Green stuff could mean anything. So a lot of climate change and environmental issues.
1: Yeah.
0: Last night in the State of the Union Address. Green terrific Well, we'll get to those in a moment and to our Green News Report. Uh, but uh, first, uh, Des, we have to, I don't know if this translates to the radio. Should we should we see if this You wanted
1: says, to talk about the most important. important. Important moment of the whole entire evening. Oh, it is!
0: It's the most important. This is the moment that the entire media has been obsessed with uh, since the State of the Union. Everybody has forgotten the State of the Union. They've forgotten the Republican response to it. There's only one thing uh, that that they can uh, that they have in mind here. And so let's play this and see if it see if it uh, translates on the radio.
1: Go ahead. In the short time that I've been here in Washington, nothing has frustrated me more than false choices like the one the president laid out tonight.
0: The choice isn't just between big government or big business. Could, could you hear that? Could you hear that? Did yeah. Hear he, that on the radio? Well, I
1: could hear it. That was Senator Marco Rubio yeah. who gave the Republican response <laughs> to the State of the Union speech last night. And, boy, out in the middle of the right in the middle of the speech, you could tell he was just, he was getting all dry and cotton mouth. And <laughs> the poor thing. I'd
0: like to think uh, that what he was doing was reenacting the, uh, the the worst drought we've had in 50 years in this country.
1: Yeah, which is going and on And he, right he
0: became so parched that he had to, in the middle of the, It was quite hysterical, actually, because he kind of kept his eye on the camera. You know, so maybe nobody would notice his, as he reached out of phone, <laughs> no.
1: and they had to put it really far out of his reach. Yeah. It was it was quite hilarious, and uh, I thought it was really funny because uh, Dan Frumkin tweeted, yeah. I don't begrudge Rubio a drink of water. It's the Kool-Aid. That's there the you problem. go. You it is it. the problem. I do,
0: because you know what? Everything he said, frankly, was uh, stuff and utter nonsense. The the lies, the nonsense that he, he came up with for the economic collapse and everything else. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, but all anybody remembers is is the gulp heard round the world. Yes, it was kind of funny. It was hilarious. And of course, CNN uh, is telling us that uh, his presidential ambitions are dashed because really? of the gulp. Yeah.
1: Wow! Because
0: of the gulp, that's so you it. can
1: vote against the uh, Violence Against Women yeah. Act in the Senate, like Rubio uh, no did, problem. and that's fine. that's fine. But oh no, gulp water in the middle of your speech—that's a bridge too far. You're out. you right. Well,
0: Howard Dean said yeehaw, and that ended his uh, presidential career. So there you go. All right, uh, we're going to come back uh, and and talk about some of the specifics with you, Desi Doyne, from last night's some of the green stuff specifics from the uh, State of the Union. Uh, but first, let's do our Green News Report which we should uh, caution, folks, was recorded before the State of the Union.
1: Just hours before. Just hours
0: before. So you'll have a bit of a preview of the State of the Union, and then we'll come back and we'll...
1: We'll find out what really happened. We'll find
0: out if our (laughs) predictions were correct. Let's have a kick it, the Green News Report.
1: Now let us entrust the Holy Church to the care of our Supreme Pastor. Too pooped to Pope. Pope Benedict's green legacy. Winter storm Nemo. Did global warming find Nemo? The State of the Union, Obama's next act on climate change. Wind power now cheaper than coal in some countries. Plus... What was Germany doing correct? They've got lots of sun, right? right? They've got a lot more sun than we do. Fox News surrenders to Germany in the clean energy race.
0: All of that and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And
1: I'm Desi Doyen.
0: Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. Five-foot snowdrifts. My God! If that happens to New York, we won't find our mayor till spring. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, winter storm Nemo has passed. Have you survived?
1: Yes, somehow we managed out here in sunny California.
0: Oh, yeah, that's right. What do you, what do you have for us today?
1: Well, first, some quick headlines. Tesla Motors CEO Elon Musk says secret software installed secret on...
0: secret sauce in the Tesla?
1: Uh, software, software.
0: Secret software, oh.
1: Software installed on all Tesla electric cars that are lent to the media show that the New York Times ignored instructions and may have even cheated in their test drive of the Range of a Tesla electric car. The New York Times, of course, denies the allegation.
0: Wow, did the media know that there was secret software on their cars?
1: No, they didn't know that. Elon Musk says they've done that ever since the British program Top Gear sort of lied about a Nissan Leaf.
0: Wow, busted.
1: Wind power is now cheaper than coal in some countries. Bloomberg New Energy Finance reports that this is already the case in Australia, partly due to a new carbon tax on that nation's biggest polluters, making non-polluting renewables more competitive, but also... Also, due to rapid improvements in turbine design and engineering. Bloomberg says globally, wind energy is now seen as a safer investment for global investors than coal over the long term. What's more, $2 trillion will flow into the global clean energy industry over the next five years. That's as investors focus on building clean energy power plants worldwide to meet rising demand for electricity. That's according to a new analysis of investments from the Pew Charitable Trusts. And, you know, it's weird because, you know, the climate change denial industry and the fossil fuel companies say that renewables are just a boutique industry. Not
0: so boutique after all.
1: Yeah, I don't know what the climate change denial industry knows that the clean energy investors don't.
0: With $2 trillion? is about to be invested. I think I need to open up a boutique.
1: The Northeast is slowly recovering from winter storm Nemo, yet another record storm that dumped a record 40 inches of snow in some places, bringing the region to a standstill. Question remains if Congressional Republicans will stall on disaster aid like they did after Superstorm Sandy. Climate scientists do say that global warming influenced Nemo's intensity. Unusually warm ocean temperatures boosted the intense snow dump because the air was holding 200 percent more moisture than is normal for that region at this time of year. Whether Underground meteorologist Christopher Burt said, quote, it is a bit unsettling that two of the most significant storms in the past 300 years to strike the Northeast have occurred within just four months of each other.
0: Unsettling, but also somewhat helpful, frankly, that these have happened up in the Northeast where the media and the politicos live.
1: Sometimes it takes a two by four upside the head. Yeah. So this happened. Pope Benedict XVI announced Monday he would be the first pope in 600 years to resign due to declining health. And what
0: could that possibly have to do with green news?
1: Oh, guess what? The 85-year-old pontiff is also notable for being the greenest pope yet. Setting aside all the other issues with the Catholic Church for a moment. And
0: there are plenty of them. Oh,
1: yes, there are. Pope Benedict was the first pope to require Vatican City to become more energy efficient and the first pope to bluntly push governments to address climate change as fundamental to social justice and responsible stewardship of creation for future generations. The Pope's surprise announcement stole some thunder from President Obama's State of the Union speech on Tuesday night. As we go to air, we're just hours away from the State of the Union speech. Environmental groups and even the Wall Street Journal have suggested Obama may introduce concrete policies to act on climate change, which he suggested he would do in his inaugural address just three weeks ago.
3: We will respond to the threat of climate change. Knowing that the failure to do so would betray our children and future generations. He will
0: speak to it. The question is not whether he speaks to it, but whether something gets done about it.
1: Exactly. Finally, Fox News is surrendering to Germany, (laughs) at least as far as winning the global clean energy race. On Fox and Friends, when asked why Germany's solar program was so much more successful than the United States, Fox business reporter Shibani Joshi let out this whopper. They've got lots of sun. right? right? They've got a lot more sun than we do.
0: Right. They've got a (laughs) lot more sun in Germany. And of
1: course, that is crazy. Germany is so far north, it gets as much sun as Alaska. It's just that Germany has sane, deliberate energy policies that benefit or Ordinary Germans so everybody wins for more
0: on that story and those we couldn't get to today please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com remember download us anytime via itunes listen to us on your mobile device via stitcher radio or the tune in apps find us and like us on the facebook and follow us 24 7 on the twitters at green news report from bradblog.com i'm brad
1: friedman and i'm desi doyan and this has been your green news report
0: Who pooped to Pope.
1: Well, you know, it worked.
0: Yeah, it was good. Uh, listen, Fox News, uh, it, it, we'll, we'll get on to this, this State of the Union in a second, but this Fox News thing was unbelievable to me. Yes. That uh, she, what was her name? Shoshani? Uh, Shoshani
1: uh, Joshi. Shibani Joshi, sorry. Shibani, Shibani Joshi. Joshi, Fox Business News. She was on as a guest for Fox and Friends.
0: Now, and... And <laughs> the, the, the reason Germany is so successful with their solar program, and last year, last May, Germany actually, on, on a Friday, they got 30% of their energy across the country, 30% of their energy on a Friday, on a work day, from solar. On a Saturday, they got 50%. Of their solar, of
1: their, of their all of their electricity was yeah. was generated by renewable energy, uh, solar.
0: But of course, we can't do that here, Desi Doyen, because we don't have as much sun as Germany.
1: Which, does. of course, as we said, is not true. You know that it's uh, that that it's just it's insane that they even thought that. And she did, to her credit, try to put out some sort of a clarification. She admitted that, oh yeah, that's right, they don't get more sun; they only get as much sun as Alaska. But natural gas is better anyway because we got a hundred year supply, which she said,
0: is, yeah. I know. Uh, clearly, she was shilling for natural gas and for the frackers. Because
1: whatever you do, don't notice that infinite energy source in the sky.
0: Falling for free from the sky. Actually, there was a, a, a piece at the end. We didn't have time for the green news, but I got to hear this this clip. Steve Doocy, uh responding at the end, and, and natural gas comes up. Uh, you have that, G? Go ahead. Because we got plenty of that.
1: Yep. All right, Shivani, thank you very lots. much
0: for joining us today. Because we got plenty of natural gas. Well,
1: I guess we don't have plenty of sun. Go figure.
0: Fox News. And yet, new study came out last week, new poll came out last week from PPP showing that uh, 70% of Republicans trust Fox News. So you wonder why we're screwed. 70% of Republicans trust them. But here's the scariest part. 67% of Republicans believe that Fox News is the most trustworthy news source sixty seven percent I think that's amazing all right uh, let me go to uh, the state back to the state of the union here now that we 've beaten up on po- fox <laughs> and i've beaten up on you with two pooped to Pope. Yes. Uh, the State of the Union, uh, your impressions before we uh, play a, a clip here from last night.
1: Well, I mean, I liked the, uh, the the whole State of the Union overall. There was a lot that was notable in it, a lot that was notably absent from it. Um, mm. From a Green News perspective, it was amazing to hear him talk about cl- uh, addressing climate, acting on climate change and acting to improve our uh, mix of renewable energy versus, you know, old fossil fuel energy. These are things that have been mentioned. Mentioned before in state of the unions historically the presidents always have said oh we got to do something about our addiction to oil remember when George Bush said that and then they proceed to do nothing so this is the most forward most uh, comprehensive and frankly longest amount of time anyone in the state of the Union has talked about he this.
0: actually went into uh, some detail and we're only going to be able to play a, a portion of this but let's uh, let's go ahead and play a clip here uh, this is where he was talking about the need to act on climate change just to create Correct, you, Desi Doyen, you said that he uh, you know, was acting on it. Not yet. He's well, talking yes. about acting on it. We'll see if he actually does. Uh, let's go ahead and uh, play a clip uh, from last night, the
3: President of the United States at the State of the Union Address. But for the sake of our children and our future, we must do more to combat climate change. It's true that no single event makes a trend. But the fact is, the 12 hottest years on record have all come in the last 15. Heat waves, droughts, wildfires, floods, all are now more frequent and more intense. We can choose to believe that Superstorm Sandy and and the most severe drought in decades And the worst wildfires some states have ever seen were all just a freak coincidence. Or we can choose to believe in the overwhelming judgment of science and act before it's too late.
0: Applause there for science, apparently. You can hear John Boehner sitting on his hands.
3: Now the good news is, we can make meaningful progress on this issue while driving strong economic growth. I urge this Congress to get together, pursue a bipartisan market-based solution to climate change, like the one John McCain and Joe Lieberman worked on together a few years ago. Oh. But if Congress won't act soon to protect future generations, I will. I will direct
1: John McCain wasn't happy about I will pollution. direct my cabinet
3: to come up with executive actions we can take now and in the future to reduce pollution, prepare our communities for the consequences of climate change, and speed the transition to more sustainable sources of energy. Now,
0: since you mentioned John McCain there, yeah, he looked like he had a terrible, uh, speaking of natural gas, yeah. he, when, when, he, when he cited him, when he pointed out uh, John McCain there, he did not look happy. Uh, to, to call out the fact that John McCain was a supporter of cap and trade, as were all of the Republicans, until something happened over the past couple of years.
1: Right. Obama got elected.
0: Oh, yeah. Even Sarah Palin. Was in favor of cap
1: and trade when
0: she ran with uh, with John McCain back
1: in two thousand eight.
0: <clears throat> yeah. So is is that dead, or are we going to have to see what uh, Obama went on to say? Was that if if Congress won't act, he will come. He will use executive actions uh, to reduce pollution, prepare our communities for the consequences of climate change, and speed the transition to more sustainable sources of energy.
1: Yeah, there are things that he can do. I mean, it's it's. It seems like it's not only highly unlikely, but I would say it's a snowball's chance in hell that Congress will pass anything, that Republicans will allow anything to pass. That would be a market-based solution such as cap and trade, or even a carbon tax. Now, Australia has a carbon tax that they levy on the 500 biggest polluters in Australia, and that has proven not to have collapsed Australia's economy yet. Um, yes. You know, yes, exactly. Right. So, you know, there are, um you know, he's trying to, I think, attract the uh, business community and Industry by talking about these market based solutions, and of course, cap and trade used to be a Republican idea. It was used to address um, acid rain, uh, to actually, no, sorry, to save the ozone hole, right? To get uh, companies to stop using the uh, types of chemicals that actually destroy the ozone hole. It was sort of supported by
0: Reagan, Bush senior, yeah, they were the ones
1: that implemented it in the first place. So, that's one of the things that they can uh, that they'll try to get through in legislation, but the president. Via executive order, can tyranny, work, tyranny. <laughs> can work through the EPA. You know, the EPA has authority, and they're also, by the way, legally required to regulate emissions from existing power plants. They've already done it for new power plants, but not for existing power plants. And that was required by law. They've been sitting on those rules for two years because they know that they're going to get quite a bit of pushback and lit- litigation as well on that, even though it was required by the Supreme Court back in 2007.
0: Desi Dorn, I was already hearing. Like- Last night, from my Twitter feed, on my Twitter feed, uh, people complaining. Executive actions. He's going to take executive actions. He's going to. He doesn't have the power to do this. This is extra constitutional. But in fact, uh, as you point out, the Clean Water Act actually mandates. Act, uh, I was a yeah. Clean Air Act actually mandates that the EPA take these actions, does it not?
1: It does. They are required by law to do this. And
0: And the president and the EPA is part of the executive branch. So when he orders the EPA, when he gives them an executive uh, order or an executive action, uh, that is not only within his constitutional rights as the executive, that is his constitutional duty. Is it not it to carry is. out the laws, he's follow whether the you law. like them or not?
1: And he's been baking, basically making this uh, case to Congress uh, since, the, since he was elected in 2009. He said, listen, you know, I would love for you guys to do this, but if you don't, then we are required to, to, to operate via the EPA. It's like uh, using a Mack truck when, you know, Congress has been given the opportunity multiple times to take care of this. If they're not going to, the EPA is required. And it's kind of like hitting things with a bludgeon, but, it's, you know. It's tyranny.
0: <laughs> It's tyranny.
1: But you know, sorry, go ahead. No, 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 that's all. I oh, just want to say. Oh, well, it's the, tyranny, the things that I so. thought were notably absent yeah. from this yeah. um, is that he didn't say anything about oil subsidies. You know, taxpayers give uh, the oil industry anywhere between two and four billion dollars a year mm-hmm. via tax breaks and other incentives, some of them that are specific only to the oil industry. So nothing about oil subsidies, nothing about coal, and also nothing about the Keystone XL pipeline. That's mm-hmm. one of the, uh, the lines in the sand that environmental groups have drawn, that if he approves the Keystone XL pipeline, they will essentially say, you know what, you are all, all talk and no action. So we'll see what happens hey. with
0: that and you know and you know what's outrageous uh enraging frankly about this uh obama uh, talked for uh during his second inauguration he talked about uh climate change more than i think any other issue yes uh arguably last night he may have talked about uh climate change related issues more than almost any other issue oh, indeed
1: yes and I think
0: so. and yet we went through an entire endless campaign presidential campaign what a year two years And you couldn't have, you know, nobody in the media stood up and said they could have said in in any of these debates to Mitt Romney and to uh, uh, President Barack Obama, uh, Mr. Romney, Mr. Obama, if you are elected, will you approve the Keystone XL pipeline, yes or no? Now, we know uh, Romney would have said yes because he was calling it for it to be passed but nobody nobody asked the president these questions nobody in the in, in the corporate media bothered to ask these questions despite the fact that clearly obama thinks these are all important issues but apparently the corporate media does not
1: Well, you know, and also one of the uh, other things I think is notable is that as he was talking about how wonderful moves that we've made here in the United States to, uh, you know, we've doubled wind energy installations and solar energy installations in the United States in just the last four years. Except right after saying that, he pivoted immediately to talking about, hey, and we're going to streamline permits for oil and gas drilling on public lands. And we're going to make it a lot easier to get this. The natural gas that we have in our capacity to get it, you know, we're going to get it, make it much more faster. And I just, to me, that was such a quick pivot that it was almost caused caused whiplash for me. All his
0: all of the above yeah, strategy, he let's does play, like to do that. Play a quick uh, uh, clip from that uh, President Obama last night at the State of the Union.
3: Last year, wind energy added nearly half of all new power capacity in America. So let's generate even more. Solar energy gets cheaper by the year. Let's drive down costs even further. As long as countries like China keep going all in on clean energy, so must we. In the meantime, the natural gas boom has led to cleaner power and greater energy independence. Fracking. We need to encourage that. And that's why my administration will keep cutting red tape and speeding up new oil and gas permits. More fracking. That's gotta be part of an all of the above plan. All of the above.
1: Oh yes. Now one of
3: the at least he didn't say
0: clean coal. Last that's night. right. He
1: did not say clean coal at all. So, but one of the things that he can do, yeah. since we're going back to the things that he can do with, uh, with the without Congress acting at all, mm-hmm. is uh, this proposal that he made in the State of the Union last night about energy efficiency. Uh, here's that clip.
3: I'm also issuing a new goal for America. Let's cut in half the energy wasted by our homes and businesses over the next 20 years. We'll work with the states to do it. Those states with the best ideas to create jobs and lower energy bills by constructing more efficient buildings will receive federal support to help make that happen.
0: That's good. I wonder if the um, fire that comes out of their faucets, thanks to the fracking he was calling for just moments before, uh, will make their uh, make the energy-efficient uh, homes, oh, they'll make it warmer. There you go. Yeah, you well, got fire you go. coming out of the faucets.
1: So we'll see if any of this actually
0: comes to That's <clears> what he means by all of the above. Uh, Desi Doyen, uh, thank you as ever for all you do here. She's our producer, my co-host on the Green News Report, heard on fine progressive radio stations. Uh, Let's see. My thanks also to Super Duper Associate Producer Margo Paez. Margo, come back soon. We miss you. My thanks to Christine Blasdell for helping us out today. G on the soundboard. And my guests, Marcia Johnson-Blanco from the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights Under Law. And stay tuned for the 4 o'clock report with John Wiener. Susie Weissman will be sitting in for him. You do not want to miss that right here over your public airwaves on KPFK. Until we meet next, you'll find me at bradblog.com. You can Twitter me at TheBradBlog. I'm Brad Friedman. Good night, America.